Welcome to Second Win, the podcast where we uncover the stories, methods, and modalities of women and men who have found their purpose while walking this earth. Sometimes they found their second win by accident, sometimes by hardship, and sometimes by intent. There is always something to learn from others and really isn't finding our own purpose what we are all looking for. I know I am. And that's why I'm hosting this very podcast. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Hello, Second Wind, and welcome to yet another fabulous episode with another fabulous person. And like always, I find these people or they just come to me, which is cross paths. It's crazy how this happens. And this is how it happened again. And how I met Kiana was I was at a farmer's market in Serenby in Chattahoochee Hills, Georgia. And I saw this sign that said, Vivian Southern treats gluten-free desserts. And I said, oh, well, I could probably try that. And so I walked over to her booth and looked at her things and she was busy with other customers. And I looked at her and I go, I said, how long have you been doing this? And what did you say? Three years or something? Yes. Just, yeah. Three years. It's about. Mm-hmm. And I figured you were around my age and I said, oh, I think you have a story. What did you used to do before this? And you kind of, you know, you're like, who is this crazy lady? And I had come fresh off a latte and it was like a nice Saturday morning. I was free and not working. And I was like running through the farmer's market. And you looked at me and you looked down like you were, should I answer her? And then you look back up again. I was a lawyer. I said, oh, you've got a story. And you said, Yes, I do. I said, oh, we have to talk. And I ran and got my card from my car. And I said, oh, can I call you? I, you're, I think you'd be perfect on my podcast without even knowing your story. I just felt that from you. And then we had our pre-interview. And it definitely is a great story with lots of things that will resonate with a lot of the listeners. And I'm excited to share your story. So welcome, Kiana Laws, to Second Win the Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really happy and honored to be here. Thank you, Wendy. Well, thank you. And you also listened to the podcast because you wanted to make sure you even liked it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, in all fairness, I accepted the invitation before I listened. So maybe I should have done it in reverse, but I would not have changed. Nothing would have changed. It's an amazing podcast. You have great guests and they have wonderful stories. I, I've been learning a lot just listening to them as well. So I'm really happy and honored to be a part of the lineup. Thank you. Are part of the lineup. I love how you said that. That's perfect. So let's get into the story. There is a woman who was a lawyer for many years who decided to bake gluten-free desserts and then peddle them. How did this happen? What was that? thing that changed your trajectory so yes and and the desserts of uh, vegan and gluten-free so everything i do is oh, vegan. vegan that's even uh, better so I, that's right that's right yes yeah. yes yes so it's it's uh, vegan versions of your traditional southern desserts and the lineup of desserts includes cobblers fruit cobblers and pound cakes and and sweet potato pie and and then it expanded into the gluten-free line because i had a customer who has celiac and so she was not able to indulge in the treats and and I felt really bad because 
she had a flare up actually. I hadn't seen her at the farmer's market for a while. And I found out she had a flare up because of her celiac. And I said, you know, don't, don't buy these, uh, these regular peach cobblers. I'll make you a, a gluten-free version. And so that's what started the launch of the gluten-free line. And, and so now I have gluten-free cobblers, uh, gluten-free cakes. And, and then I added cookies because we have a lot of young customers, little, little kids. And I was, I was once one of those little kids, you know, I grew up dairy-free and, so I, I have always cooked and baked dairy free. And so having cookies and having them available for children and kids being able to come up to the table and, and they said, you know, I can't have dairy or I can't have eggs. And they said, what can I eat? And I said, the whole, you can eat anything on the table. This is, this table's for you. And to see the, the, the look on their face when they realize that it's, it's amazing. Really why I do what I do and why, you know, I started the company a couple of years ago. Yeah. So it'll be a, almost officially three years coming up. Probably by the time you, you air this podcast, it'll be officially three years. Okay. Perfect. So what, now what started that? What started you doing that? I know that it was the health, but what was that moment that said, oh, I think I'm going to bake and quit doing law? Because that's a huge jump. I mean, most people looking at that would be like, what? Like into the unknown from a good salary good position, people knowing your name, to now baking could be isolating, I would think. You know, on one hand, it wasn't easy. On the other hand, it was easier than I thought, right? So, so what was the, what was the, the moment? It was a series of, it was, it, there were dominoes. So the first thing that, of course, had the biggest impact on me in my tra trajectory, changing trajectory away from law was, of course, losing my mom. And so for people who aren't familiar, who haven't had a chance to meet me at farmer's markets or at events, local events, Vivian is the name of the company because that was my mom's name. And so I named the company after her to honor her. And she passed away in 2015, in September 2015. Actually, I, you know, we did our pre-call. It was a couple of days after the anniversary of her passing, just coincidentally happened. But she, uh, she passed away and, you know, I mean, I was, I was her only child. She was a single mom. And so we were very close and that had a profound effect on me, of course, that was in, in many ways losing my, my tether. And so in the beginning, it was hard to, to process because there was, you know, anyone unfortunately who's, who's had the experience of losing a parent knows that in the, in the immediate hereafter, there's a lot of things that have to be done. A lot of preparation has to be done and a lot of arrangements have to be made and Things were more complicated because uh, my mom had an illness and she was actually staying with me. I lived up in the Northeast in Philadelphia at the time. And it so happened it was the weekend that the Pope was coming to town back in 2015. And so that made things a lot more challenging. And I unfortunately wasn't there when she passed. She was living with me, but I, I was at work and, and came home and found her. And so the first several months were kind of a flurry of activity and of course you know my 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 personality was probably just to bury myself in work and I did that and so it took a little while for me to actually process the grief and go through it and so once I did it put everything in perspective you know it really put in perspective what mattered the fact that I wasn't there when she passed that you know like I said that was a, a you know that was a, a big deal for me to work through right because you had said Kiana, you had said, I was at work preparing for something and I didn't really need to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I chose to be there 
And the fact that your mom died at that time, you said it it really didn't feel so good. You felt guilty. I did. I did. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I did. I did. Because, yeah, the, the, the thing that I was there working on, you know, it was one of those things where in, in anyone in that kind of corporate setting knows the experience of, of being pushed to file something on a deadline, but it, the, in, in the reality, the deadline doesn't matter. It's like one of those artificial deadlines. So feeling like you have to get it done and do something. And of course, because of what was happening in, in the city and having the Pope shut down the city and we were going to have to work from home. And there are all these kind of this flurry of activity that was going on and we were getting pressed to get things done. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. So that was kind of hard to work through, you know, that that guilt and, the, and those issues. But I think you said it best, actually, in the pre-interview, right? When you said, you know, maybe that's it. Everything worked out the way it was supposed to. I wasn't supposed to be there. And that was to hear that from you. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot in the studying and I'm going to be talking to hopefully people with near-death experiences and things like that and about our souls and, you know, the whole purpose, right? That's what it's all about. It's the purpose. And. Perhaps your mother wasn't going to be able to let go with you there. That's what they say. Sometimes people wait, like the whole family will be there in the room and then they'll all go to get something to eat for five minutes and that's when they'll die because they didn't want to do that. It's very interesting how the soul kind of just decides is from what I'm learning. I'm, I'm definitely not an expert, but this is kind of the, the job as well. So I'm glad I could help. <laughs> You did. You did. You absolutely did. Putting it in that in that kind of context, framing it in that in that way was helpful. So I appreciated that. And so after after as I was going through that grieving process and recognizing that my job as a lawyer, while it was important and the work I was doing was important, that wasn't that wasn't it. You know, that wasn't the the that should not be the central focus of life. At the end of the day, it's it's a job. And and yes, it was an important job. And, and I did a lot of good through that job. But at the end of the day, it was a job. You know, what I said to, to someone was, if I drop dead tomorrow, they're going to have someone in here in my office <laughs> doing the same job, you know, the next day. And so that really put things in perspective for me. And it helped me become, separate my identity from being a lawyer, because that's the identity I had for so many years growing up the way I did and, you know, being able to accomplish that level of professional success. So that was my identity and being able to sit and kind of think and, and, and have that time away and work through the grief process. It helped me to separate my identity, who Kiana was, from being a lawyer. And that helped in, in so many ways. It, it really probably helped me become a better lawyer because I didn't take things so personally anymore. You know, I was able to, to rebound from setbacks on cases a lot easier because I didn't take it personally anymore. It wasn't a reflection on, on me personally. It's just, that's just how it works. And so I, I had a new perspective on work and it was through that new perspective on work that when my friend and coworker came to me and said, I'm leaving and I'm, and she was, you know, uh, around the same age as I was, maybe a year older. And she's someone who I respected so much as a lawyer. And she said, no, nah, this, I'm, I'm, this isn't for me anymore. You know, there's more to life and I'm going to go start my own company. And, and that really resonated with me because I said, well, if she can, can leave this job and, and leave this, this everything she's worked for for you know, over 20 years as a lawyer, then why can't I? And so that probably was the first seed 
you know, and at the same time, I was working on a case that was very challenging. And it was a case that had a lot of travel associated with it. And I think I, you know, I mentioned this during the pre-call that I spent at the end of the end of 2017 going into 2018, those last two quarters, I spent more time in another state than I did at, at home in Pennsylvania. I was home maybe three days a week sometimes. You know, I'd, I'd fly out on a Monday or early Tuesday. I'd be out there all week and fly home late on a Friday. And so it just, it was, un, it was untenable. I, I just couldn't continue that situation. And the case was a little frustrating and it kept getting delayed. It was going to trial. And so that was exciting for me because it would have, it was my first solo trial, you know, without anyone else. So that was an exciting process, but it kept getting delayed and it was a little frustrating. And so after it got delayed, I think maybe the second or third time, I just said, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm, I, I need to get out of here. I need to go. And so I, I said, I'm going on vacation and I booked the trip and went out to, to Utah and, and went to this resort and sat in the desert for about a week and just sat and, and you know, there, there are no, there are no TVs. And it was one of the, it was yeah, it was OTVs. And so I had time to just journal and hike and relax and eat clean because I, you know, I've had what, six months of eating on the road. So it was not healthy at all. And so it was, it was a nice chance to go and, and just eat clean and just kind of get mentally where it, back in a good space mentally and so, and healthy. And so it was through that process, just sitting in the desert journaling that I said, you know what? I already got to the point where I was going to be walking away from the law, you know, sooner rather than later. And the question was, what next and where? Right. And, right. Mm-hmm. And, and I started thinking about the people in my life who I had in my life who, who were important people to me and realizing those people were in Atlanta. And I said, OK, well, if I'm going to start this new life, it, that's where I should be. And so that's why I made the decision to relocate to Atlanta. And once I got down here, and like I said, having the freedom again, having that work-life balance again, that was how I was able to to re- rediscover the love of baking and cooking and, and start this journey to Vivian Southern Treats. Yeah. And you came, mm-hmm. you came to Atlanta as a lawyer. I did. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't, it was gradual. You didn't just like you know, there's, there's things where people are like, oh, I must follow my dream and my passion and off the cliff they go with no plan B, right? And oh, I, maybe you should have maybe saved some money or paid off your car before you did that or something. And you knew you wanted to change, but you were also wise enough to continue to do what you were doing until you had a plan. Right. Well, how did you, how did you formulate that plan? And, and how did you know it was baking is the question. So I think the baking part came before the plan part. So I knew I was going to transition out into something else. And I, so first I'm, so I, I was in the geographic space to do it. And anyone who knows Atlanta know that this is, I mean, this is a really great place for, for small businesses to launch. And so if you have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, this is a great place to be. And I recognize that. So, so I was, okay, this might work, you know, for me starting some kind of business here. And so once I got into, got back into baking and my friend asked me to make the Jamaican rum cake and I said, okay, well, you know, I made the version for her and it was dairy free, of course, because 
that's how I cook and bake. And so then yeah, what- if you're going to go to the party, you tell me if I'm going to the party, I want to be able to eat the cake. So I'm right. going to make it. <laughs> right. I'm not going to make it. And, and uh, <laughs> right. you can't eat. I mean, you didn't even, did you tell her it was going to be vegan? I did. I told her up front and, oh, I okay. made a, and I did make a test cake for her. I made a test cake and took it over to her and, and she tried it and she said more rum. You know, I think that was the only feedback. It was more rum, put more <laughs> and so uh so i made the other one you know made it for the party and everyone enjoyed it and so then i said let me try this again without the egg let me let me see if i can if i can figure this out how to do it without the egg and i did and i tried you know tried that and i i liked it and then gave it to some other people and they liked it and so i said okay maybe I, this this vegan thing because it wasn't because at that point it wasn't just it, i i knew i could do dairy-free things but can I do that next step, which is taking out the A? And so once I, I realized I could probably figure that out, then I started brainstorming. And, and again, as I was kind of getting my feet and my bearings in Atlanta and kind of going around and seeing what wasn't available for me to eat, that's also, it's like, so all this kind of, all these thoughts are kind of merging together at once. And, and flowing into, into a plan. And then my friend actually suggested, she said, why don't you take some time off work and just think about it and, and, and experiment a little bit and do the research and see if this will work, see if you can make this work. And so that's what I did. I took like a month off, a month hiatus from work and, and worked through that process and, and got the, the first business license and, and started putting things in together, putting things on paper and looking at farmers markets. And that was the end of, that was the end of 20, that was the end of 19, right? 2019. Yes. And so right the, before, like as COVID was starting to. Right. Well, so, so, the, so that's the thing. So, so the business was officially launched on paper and, you know, was, was making a few things for, for, for friends. And then I decided I wanted to go into the farmer's markets. So I officially launched in the farmer's markets, February 29, 2020. And then two weeks later, like the world comes yeah. over. <laughs> Right, because it was right before St. Patrick's Day for our restaurants. It was like, like what was that? The, like right before St. Patrick's Day, and we'd already spent the thirty grand on everything you need for St. Patrick's Day. It's like, okay, well, we're gonna keep going, and we'll just not, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, it was that was crazy. It was, it was, and and it worked out though because the farmers market where I started, which is now in Peachtree City it was able to continue to function because it was, it was deemed an essential business. And so it was an opportunity for people to come out to shop in the open air, you know, in the open fresh air and buy their local produce and their local baked goods and their local juices and, and, and meats and things like that. So that was where I started and we went through COVID and that really positive reception from the desserts. And I, I started off with just the cobblers and pound cakes in I think lemon and vanilla and the sweet potato pie and then like I said I met that couple. sweet potato pie yeah <laughs> glad you enjoy it it is officially the best seller has been since the business launched the sweet potato pie that is the most popular item hands down it is interesting yeah and then wor working at at that market is when I I met the customer and, and that led into my foray into gluten-free into gluten-free baking and I had another vendor actually a co-vendor who said you know Serenby has this farmer's market and they don't really have a lot of gluten-free options out there, but a lot of people ask for them. So you might want to look into that. And I did. And that's how I ended up at Serenby. And I, so I've been out at Serenby since 2020 for their market. This was my third season at their market. And then things just grew 
And the end of 2020, going into 2021, I realized that I wanted to do this full time. This was it. This was my second wind, right? This was what I was going to transition into full time. So I started making the plans to do that and, and figuring out what I need to do logistically to make that happen. And I, you know, went to different farmers markets and kind of expanded my reach and my, my footprint a little bit last year. And then that was what gave me the opportunity to start to pivot into retail and to start selling things through retailers and to retailers and, and to a couple of restaurants. And so that's where things are now. So that's, that's the next step is transitioning into retail because ultimately I want these products to get to as many people as possible. I want the, the, you know, the kids who grow up like I grew up to be able to have those kind of options that I didn't have. That's, that's the end goal with the business. That's your end goal, which is, it's very heartfelt and it's, it's really cool. And, and that you told me before we hung up the phone, your plans and why, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to find out, you grew up in an, in an in kind of interesting time with a single mom and, and how you even got into law to begin with. It was a very interesting thing and you were able to get scholarships. Your mother really pushed you in school, but you also hung out with your godparents and your grandparents. So you were always hanging around, what did you say, 50 and 60 year olds. So you're super mature. Tell us a little bit about who is Kiana? Who is the person we're talking to? Okay. So yeah, so I'm I'm the the daughter of a single mother. And back then it was a little less common than it is now. So those there were some challenges. Where'd you grow up? I forgot. I grew up on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Maryland, that's right. That's yeah. Okay. I grew up on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, small town. And uh, it was, you know, growing up in the 80s, it was one of those towns that was going through that transition of unfortunately losing a lot of the factories and those kinds of jobs that people of my mom's generation grew up and they would, you know, come out of high school and they get a job and they work it for 30 years and retire with a good pension. And, and so those jobs were going away. So I grew up in that kind of transition. And it's, you know, it's a very blue collar town, very blue collar families where I grew up. But, you know, things were, could be challenging in terms of finances and financial security. And so I, I you know, we, I, I grew up okay. My mom, you know, I, you know, made sure I never messed any meals, but there were a lot of things that I, I did go without because other things had to be prioritized. Because she worked a lot, I, my grandmother, my grandparents were my caregivers for the most part. And if they were tied up, then, you know, my aunts or my uncles, my godparents. So yes, true product of, of a village. You know, and and so, yeah, I, I grew up with a bunch of 50 and 60 year olds, you know, driving around with them and hanging out. <laughs> I think 50 and 60 year olds are very cool personally. <laughs> they are. And and, and I, I advocate for for kids growing up in multi-generational families because it does give you a different perspective when you hang out with your grandparents. I think it definitely matured me a little sooner than my peers. You know, like I I, uh, I think I mentioned, you know, Growing up and reading things that I probably wouldn't have read otherwise, you know, hanging out with my grandparents and reading the newspaper and stuff like that and watching the news. And, and you don't really, you know, a lot of people don't do that if they're not in those situations. And just learning different things and hearing different stories about their history and their childhood and how they were, they were raised. And it gives you a different perspective. And so, so I, I love that. I, you know, I had a ball. But yeah, I mean, like just the image of me, you know, six, seven years old, you know, rolling around with the, you know, the car full of like 60 year old ladies, like the Golden Girls, you know, it's like from an image perspective, looking back, it has to seem pretty hilarious when people saw us. So, uh, but that was, that was growing up. <laughs> that's 
That's really cool. Yeah. And how did you how did you get through school? Was it you were a really good student? Were you, but you were did you want to be a good student or were you pushed to be a good student? Probably a little of both. So you know, being as as the only child and being in this this financially insecure position, you know, the college is the way out, right? So. So growing up, I heard you, you have three options, you know, when you, when you get out of high school, it's college or the military or get a job, right? And so for me, it was college. Uh, my mom, unfortunately, couldn't afford to finish college. So she, she pushed for that and then pushed for me to be a good student. And a lot of that had to do also with her relationship with her mother, my grandmother, and wanting to make sure that our relationship and, and the things that I had an opportunity to do were things that she didn't have an opportunity to do and that we had a different relationship than that she what did parents for, you know. do though isn't that what we want to do we want to make it easier on our kids almost to a fault <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely room for backfiring <laughs> so it wasn't smooth sailing all the time that's for sure but her heart was in the right place and so uh she actually yeah, so she, she definitely pushed me in school you know at the end of the day for for better and so I was a good student growing up. And as a result, I had a lot of opportunities when it came time for college. And I was pretty determined, you know, to go to college. And to yeah, but wait, we're going to back up before that. Let me tell you why. Okay. <laughs> because not only did you want to be a good student, but you also realized, well, if there's things I want, I have to buy them and I have to get the money myself. And so your grandmother would drive you to your first job. Yeah, you remember that. <laughs> Right. And I think that's important because your work ethic at such a young age was ginormous. And that and that has carried you. Right. You see things through. You work really hard. And that's why you're successful. And and I think that's missing a lot today. Oh, this doesn't feel good. I'm not going to do it. It's kind of like the mindset today. And it's like, no, do your best at what you're doing until you decide to do something different where you will do your best until the next. But you tell her, how old were you when you, your grandmother took you to get that first job? And that first job, I mean, you, you, were like, you were like the new baby being thrown into the deep end. Absolutely. It, I, was, I was 16. I was 16. So my mom, you know, she actually didn't want me to get a job. Well, your mom didn't want you. Yeah. I mean, growing up, my mom was, always took the, the perspective of school is my job. You know, don't. And so don't worry about different things. I mean, uh, you know, so I didn't really have, you know, I did things around the house, but I wasn't one of those kids that had like assigned chores, you know, like baking or, or cooking or doing dishes or, or, or things like that. I did those things, but I wasn't, I didn't have assigned chores. Her, her job was, I mean, her, her perspective was I'll do those things. You just focus on school, you know, focus on your grades. And, and so that was, you know, that was the entire time of me growing up. And so when it came time for when I was old enough to get a job, you know, I wanted I wanted a job because I wanted money and I wanted freedom. And at that point, I was 16. I was, let's see, I think I was a junior. Yeah, I was I was wrapping up my junior year in school going into my senior year. And, you know, I knew I, I mean, senior year, you have so many expenses and I was going to have to pay for those things. And, and, you know, my mom, you know, she said she was going to help me with a couple of things, but the rest of the things I was going to be on my own. And so I, I got this job. So I, you know, I had my grandmother take me around to apply to jobs. And I don't think I told my mom. I think we did this behind her. <laughs> okay. And so, so I got a job working at McDonald's. 
And so there's McDonald's, you know, of course there's McDonald's in the town, but they offer, there was an additional opportunity. They said, well, if you want to work at the beach, right, in Ocean City, Maryland, it would pay more. So what you do is you, you show up, you know, here at this location every morning and we'll drive you. We have this van, you know, and we'll, we'll drive, you know, the McDonald's school bus, basically, of people down to the beach and you work there and you and we got paid a couple more dollars per hour so i think it was maybe like eight bucks you know 850 an hour versus like 650 or something that you would make if you stayed in town so of course i jumped at it because you get paid and plus you got paid for being on the bus so it's it's you know an hour each way essentially in traffic and you're getting paid for that it's a no-brainer for me right or so i thought <laughs> so, I, so i get down there the first day and it was a senior week in ocean city and anyone who's participated in that knows it's it's wild. And so all the seniors flock from Delaware or Maryland and maybe even Jersey down there for a week. And we were it was the busiest location in the in Ocean City on the on the beach that McDonald's where I worked. And the first day I was just running around and they were trying to train me, but you know, we were slammed with people. And I just remember sitting down at lunch where I finally got a chance to take a lunch break. I think it was probably like six hours into my shift. And I just remember sitting there thinking, yeah, I got to go to college. <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this isn't it. And so, so I had a whole different perspective and on motivation at that point. And it was nothing wrong with it. Like it was, it's good, hard, honest work, but it's hard work. And especially when you're, you know, so it gives you that perspective of appreciating hard work and working hard for your money and appreciating the money that you've worked so hard for. And it, it can put things in perspective to say, okay, this might not be something I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, maybe I'm not cut out for this kind of manual labor of running around, you know, for eight hours on this shift. So I was, so I was, I was grateful for that opportunity to see that firsthand and to, and it, it propelled me to go to to go to college to to do well my senior year to really focus on on getting into college because i i recognize i wasn't you know i wasn't cut out for it ironically now fast forward all these years later my job is a lot of physical labor right and i and i and i and i enjoy it so that's that's the other thing and i guess working at mcdonald's gave me at least the the perspective of i know i can do it you know i know i can do all this, you know, be on my seat all these hours in a day and, and, and run around the way I sometimes I have to do for this business. So it, it gave me that foundation and, and, but it put me in, it put things in perspective for me. So I appreciate it and I appreciated the, the opportunity. And I do, I do definitely advocate young people getting those kind of jobs to kind of put things in perspective and, and recognize, you know, you don't have to do it forever, but it's, it's a good, it's a good punch in the mouth <laughs> for like a better way of describing it. Yeah. No, and it, it helps you respect all jobs, no matter yes, what they are. absolutely. Yeah. No matter where you come from. Yeah. So you go off to college. I know your first experience was, is that the one you said you didn't really feel like you belonged? Right. So, so senior year, you know, and you mentioned it. So I was, I was fortunate to, that uh, because of my academic record and, and doing some extracurricular activities, I, uh, I was able to put together a really strong, you know, application packet for schools. And so I ended up going to Towson University, uh, which is in Maryland. And I, you know, I applied to a couple of different schools and what I thought I was going to go to, my mom's cousin had gone to. And so we didn't have a lot of people in our family that went to college. I mean, we, we it's like basically once every, like one person every generation. 
So she was a person from her generation and, and I was a person from mine. And, and so she took me on those college visits and I went to her alma mater, which is now in Virginia. And I went there and I just, it was a school I thought I wanted to go to. And for years, you know, thought I was going to go down that, to that school. And I got on campus and I just wasn't comfortable. And it's a good school, but the kids, you know, there was a, there was a big socioeconomic disconnect between where they were and where I was. Right. And so I wasn't comfortable. It was a lot of, you know, the, the kids, you know, had that kind of background and a lot of them, their parents were alumni. Sometimes both parents were alumni. And so along with that comes, you know, a, a stronger socioeconomic base and foundation than I had coming from a single mom who, who didn't finish college. So I just wasn't comfortable there. But when I went to Towson, I, I got there and I walked around and I talked to a couple of students and I recognized it's like, yeah, this is it. This is the place for me. And so I went there and and was fortunate enough to, to be awarded a, a, a full scholarship there. So that took a lot of pressure off in terms of knowing how I was going to pay for college. And then over the years, I, I was able to become an RA. And, and so that was a great experience in terms of getting to know other students and working with other people. And then I spent a couple of years in student government. And that was great from a leadership perspective and introduced me to uh, opportunities I wouldn't otherwise have had, like travel, you know, went on my first plane ride as a result of being in student government to a leadership conference out in California. So that's, that's how I, I got through college. I worked a little bit. I did finally, you know, was able to finally buy a car. I think I mentioned that, you know, my mom and uh, also wanted to, to keep me close, wouldn't let me get my license. So, so that's something I had to, I had to get on my own and and of course, with a car, she, you know, she didn't want to co-sign for it. So I had to, my godfather co-sign for it. It's a whole thing. So I got my whole car thing. and got so <laughs> and, uh, and that was, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, with my mom, she, being a single mom, I think it was kind of hard for her to recognize, you know, as much as she wanted me to go away and go to college, I think she knows it, when it got down, down to it, the cutting of the apron strings was just, it was a, a challenge for her. And so all of these kind of symbols of independence, you know, applying to colleges of, and getting licenses and, 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 and getting your, your first car, like those kind of things, she it just wasn't, didn't really encourage <laughs> at all. Right, right. And there's a little codependency with having you around for sure. And one thing you had told me that I thought was interesting was you went into law because your mother said you loved to argue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So you asked me. Yeah. But why did you choose law? Why? I think so there's a couple of things. One, probably financial security, you know, and that was the other thing. When, when I was young and I, I don't know, maybe six or so, my mom was in a car accident and it was pretty serious, but she wasn't hurt. And going through that challenge of the, the lawsuit resulting from the, the car accident. Well, she was, well, and we should say she was bringing you to these appointments. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, with the, yeah. Yeah. The lawyers and the whole accident thing. Yeah. I, I was going with her to, to the lawyer's office and one day we were leaving and she said, you want to make money, be a lawyer. And so, you know, I, I mean, at that time, I don't think I, I wasn't interested in being a lawyer. I think back then I was, I mean, at that age, I was probably interested in being a teacher or, and then I went through a phase where I was interested in computers and, but eventually I circled back to law. But that seed, that seed got planted. It did. It did. It did. And, and also just recognizing that law meant financial security. 
You know, I mean, when I, uh, and I don't think I mentioned this before, but when I was in high school, uh, my last year of high school, there was an internship program and it paired senior students with these jobs or in the you know local jobs in the community so that we could kind of get a feel for things. And at that point, of course, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so they, I applied for the internship program. I was accepted and they paired me with a law firm in town. And so I worked for them after school, I think maybe two or three days a week. And it was, you know, pretty basic stuff. You know, I would just, I'd help them with filing and, and I'd do some typing and, you know, I'd walk over to the courthouse and, and, you know, check the mailbox. You know, this is back when they actually had a physical mailbox at the courthouse. You had to go check it, you know, for the court documents. And so I would do those kinds of things, but just kind of being in that atmosphere gave me an idea of what being a lawyer was about, you know, seeing the clients. I sit in on client meetings and client calls and things like that. And so, of course, what resonated with me was, you know, these lawyers, they were successful. They're small town lawyers, but they're, they're very successful people. And there's a lot of security there. And coming from someone who, who grew up in financial insecurity, that was certainly a motivating factor for going into law was the financial security attached to it. It's very interesting how that, that came about, for sure. So let's flash forward. So now you, you pick Atlanta. You're experimenting. You're going to the farmer's markets. What's that looking like for you? Like, are you making money at it? Because I know like for the restaurants, it takes years before, and a lot of people who start a business, it takes years, sometimes five years or more to be able to take a salary, right? Or even take any kind of money or compensation. How does that work for you? Yeah, things are, things are going well. I mean, the business, of course, first year, no, like most businesses, because there's so many, so much investment in things you need, you know, the, the infrastructure, the, the materials, the tools, the baking things, the advertisements, it's, a, you know, the, the tent for the farmer's market, like all that stuff you have to, you have to buy. And so, but year two, you have to buy less of those things. Year three, you have to buy less of those things. So things get better in terms of those capital investments. And then, of course, being able to expand has helped. Because I, I not only sell at the farmers markets, but I also sell. Like I said, starting to sell to some retailers and in, in some retail locations, and also uh, selling online through a local business, uh, local delivery service here called Market Wagon. They're actually national, but the they sell they, and they deliver here in the Atlanta metro area. They cover a huge part of the Atlanta metro area where they deliver. So I'm able to reach customers that way. So that's additional stream of income, an additional way to grow my footprint. And I have people who, you know, who call and, and get direct orders and get custom orders and things like that. And so, so that helps. So because I came from the perspective of, you know, I, I didn't know anything about business. So I, I did a lot of research and I did a lot of, a lot of planning, tried to do a lot of planning of, of how this was going to work and sketching things out and on paper to figure out how was this going to work, to set aside like the appropriate, everyone says you need an emergency fund. You know, you don't just jump into it. You have to have an emergency fund and things like that. So we're making sure I have all of those systems in place. And so I, I was able to do that for, you know, a couple of years, make those plans. And I did a lot of research in terms of the business side of things because I, I just wasn't familiar with that. And so I, I think I've, I, there's still a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn, but I, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable in those, in those aspects and uh, in marketing and, and sales and things like that, that I, I didn't think I knew. And then as I started getting into them, I recognized there were a lot of skills that I had in my old life that I could carry over into this life, like project management. And, you know, what I, 
when I think of sales or what I thought of sales before, you know, probably like most people, you think about, you know, the the kind of that car salesman, right? The used car salesman trying to sell, right? And that's just not me. That's not who I am. And so I had to figure out a way to just kind of be myself when I'm at these markets talking to people. And I realized it's like, oh, that's sales too. It's just a different kind of sales. It's not a stereotypical sales pitch. And so those are things that I kind of recognize, okay, I, I can I can do this. I can talk to people. I've been, you know, that's my job as a lawyer. I was talking to people. It was selling them on my argument, you know, selling a judge on my argument, selling my bosses on a case, selling a negotiation in a settlement. Uh, that's what I did for a living for you know, over 18 years. I can do this. So so as I get more into the business, I recognize there are more skills that I've I carried over than I initially thought I was. So it wasn't just starting from scratch, wasn't throwing out all of my skills. So that was a little bit more comforting. <laughs> and it made it made the leap not as scary. Yeah, but I think yeah, and I think as we enter into this second half, the next chapter of life, we do have all sorts of experiences and and information we've stored up that we can draw from. And we may not think we can do it. And when somebody says, oh yeah, you're really good at that, you know, and you're like, I am? And then you think back, oh yeah, how did I know that? Oh, well I did this, you know, if you get, like I got asked to go speak in front of this group the other day about the podcast and I, and I thought to myself, why am I, what? And then you get there and I just was like, and it was fine. But was that because of all the stuff I had done in the past, raising money, doing my 501c3, having to go ask for things and be in public and do all the stuff I did? Yes, that's exactly why. And that's why, and I, and I know you believe it too, that's why we have so much unharnessed energy and power at this point in our lives, men and women. If we can just sort of sit back and kind of, sit into it and feel it and extrapolate it from all its hidden places, I guess. Yeah. So what I love is what, and I said this to you, I said, so what, what do you see Vivian Southern treats becoming? What is it that you want to do with it? Because what you're doing is great, but is there more? And you said, oh yes, there is. And I loved how you described that to me. Can you, can you share that? Yes. So if if I remember what I said in the pre-interview, I'll probably butcher it, but uh, you'll have to remind me. But the next stage is is going into how do I get these products to the most people, right? And recognizing that I'm that's not something I'm going to be able to figure out on my own, right? So at some point, I I know I'm going to have to to sell all or part of the business to make sure that that dream becomes realized because that's the most important thing. Like I said, that's why I got into this business to to provide these desserts to the broadest possible audience out there. And so that will be the the business goal. I think there's other ways that I can I can expand the business as I help to get into that. I mean, I would love to get in the position where the products and the ingredients that we use in the that the, are using the products, that's something that we can invest in, right? So investing in like a, a peach orchard or or blueberry farm or you know, sweet potato. You I mean, didn't like, tell me last time. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, like those things would be amazing if the business could, could be in a position to do those things, to really be more. And that's something I've kind of realized has 
oversold the past couple of years with the pandemic, right? Because the supply chain issues, it's, it can be a challenge. So being able to have those those resources and have those tied into the business would, would certainly give the business a, a huge advantage going forward. So I certainly would love to make that a reality. How soon that's going to happen on which timetable, I don't know. But I'd love for that to happen. But ultimately, I mean, for me personally, I think, you know, we were talking about your life and, and you have this farm life. And I'm like, I'd love that at the end of the day to just go, you know, be a farmer when all this is said and done. I'd, I'd love that to do something that's, a, you know, a little more out in the in the earth. And so that's also another thing. Out I, in the poop, I call it. <laughs> out in the poop. <laughs> I'll say in the earth. <laughs> you know, that's that's something I appreciate from this business. And, and you know, there will come a time when unfortunately, you know, probably have to transition away from farmer's markets. But that's one of the things I enjoy about farmer's markets, just being outside. You know, and being out in like a day like today where it's just a beautiful fall day and being outside and talking to people and engaging with customers. And so I, I so anything in the next, my, I think I call it my third wind that involves me being outdoors a lot more, I, I'm in favor of. Absolutely. Yeah, because as a lawyer, you were in a courthouse. There's no windows. <laughs> like you were in, in, in. And April Warola, who was on last week as a chiropractor, she thought she wanted to be an attorney. And she went for a couple of weekends and her, her whole body was just like, ah, I can't be inside this long with no windows or anything. So totally get that. One thing you said to me that really opened my eyes a little bit was you said, I mean, I would love to see my products available at a price and in places where any kid, especially with allergies, can have one of my products. And like a Walmart or something, or, you know, that side, you know, the, the mini mart kind of thing in the neighborhood that somebody can get gas and can get a Vivian street. And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Like you were saying, you know, the kids who live next to Whole Foods in the city of Atlanta who are going to the private schools, well, it's easy for them to get the, the healthy and, and, or organic and, or dietary restricted things because it's available to them there. But what if you don't live near the Whole Foods or the specialty shop? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. What do those kids do? And you were that kid. Yeah. And that was, that's, that's kind of the motivation there is, is because of my upbringing, because, you know, I, I learned to bake from my mom you know, and that was what she she had to do because I couldn't have dairy. So she didn't have the option of just walking into a store and buying a birthday cake or cupcakes or, you know, for the class or, or what have you. She had to make everything at home because that's the only way I could have it. And so so those memories, you know, and, and this kind of gets into to my background, but, you know, those memories of of being in, in our apartment and you know, in the little kitchen and my mom baking, you know, around Christmas time and baking brownies and, and the sugar cookies and things like that. And my, my birthday is, is, is in December. And so making my birthday cake at the same time while she's baking for, for Christmas and I'm sitting on the counter, you know, waiting so I can, you know, lick the bowl and <laughs> all that. And so those are the, those are the memories, you know, that I had growing up. And that was, you know, was right. I thought about baking as a business. That was the motivation, right? The to be a resource for that kid, for that mom who doesn't bake or, or can't bake or doesn't have the time to bake. You know, my mom, you know, she, she 
worked a lot, but she carved out time to do that because that was important for her. But I recognize not everyone has that opportunity, but they also can't just run into a store and buy things either because it's not available in their area. Like, you know, they don't live near a Whole Foods or a Sprouts or something, or maybe it's cost prohibitive because some of these products can be a little, you know, on the pricey side. And so that's always been important to me as well to keep the price point on the products so that it can be accessible to the most people, you know, uh, to the widest audience. And so, so yes, that's, that's the end goal is to have these products in as many places as possible in stores, you know, that are, are operating in the widest possible geographic locations, you know, so it's not just limited to your urban areas. So people can get them. So that kid who has their allowance money or their babysitting money or, or their, their grandmother, you know, give them, you know, a few bucks for their, their birthday, they can go into those stores and buy, you know, a slice of cobbler or a pack of cookies that, that I sell that, you know, the chocolate chip cookies or peanut butter cookies. And they don't have to worry about, you know, this is something they can eat. You know, I'm, they can't have dairy or they can't have eggs, but they can, you know, they, there's, here's a treat that you can have at your store and they can buy yourself. And I get those customers, those children, you know, I, there's a, a, a little girl not long ago at Serenby and she came up and she wanted the flourless chocolate cake. I don't think you've tried that, but it's a chocolate cake and it's got a little layer of ganache on it. It's you had sold out. You had sold out, Kiana. That's why I didn't have it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry. Not that I wouldn't want to. Okay. Keep going with your story. It's, Sorry. It, it is going. very, it's very popular. It's a gluten-free item. It was new to the menu. And it, again, it was a result of customer demand. People wanted a gluten-free cake. So that's how that was born. But she comes up and, and she, I can't remember, I think she was maybe, maybe dairy intolerant. And she wanted to know what she could have. And I said, you know, anything on the table, everything is made without dairy. So you could, this whole table's for you. And she said, okay. And she wanted the chocolate cake. And so she asked me how much it was. I told her and she had, you know, like her little purse, you know, probably like seven years old. She's got a little purse and she's pulling out all these ones. She's counting them out to me. And it was, it was just the sweetest thing. Cause I'm like, that's me. <laughs> you know, that I would have been that kid. She was so excited to, to get the, you know, the, the piece of cake and, and, and she ate it, you know, and then circled back around and said, I loved it, you know, and showed me the empty container. <laughs> and so, so those things are really sweet. And, and so I want to, I want to, to be in a position to, to make that what is available as possible to the most, the greatest number of people, kids, and also people who are kids at heart, like myself. And we just, you know, we still have that sweet tooth from childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't have some of the ingredients in it that can wreck our stomachs, I mean, there, I will have a doctor on soon who I already did the recording with who's like, vegan people is how we're supposed to be eating. And he makes a good case for that. And it's possible to eat really delicious foods and still do our body justice. So I have a question for you. What keeps you going in this? I mean, you're still new enough so that if you walked away, you could, but you don't. Why? Why do you why do you keep doing it? I think I know the answer, but let's find out anyway. It is that end goal. It is it is being able to to one day myself walk into a store, you know, a Target or or I don't know, a quick trip or wherever and see my products and you know, maybe be in line and having people ahead of me buying them. You know, that's what that's the motivating factor. You know, having people who who know, okay, Thanksgiving's coming, for example, or Christmas is coming. We, you know, I don't have to go without a dessert this year. 
after dinner, you know, and I've, and I've been in that position. You get invited somewhere and, and there's nothing you can eat, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And so I, I want to be in a position that people don't have to do that. They can, they can have options. You can have food that tastes good, you know, and a lot of my customers at this point are not vegan or not plant-based. They just like good desserts and you can, you can be. Well, they are, they're amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I have, you know, I have one client who is, you know, he's a typical carnivore you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy. And he, he loves the blueberry cobbler and he's a big fan of that. And, and so he's ordered it a couple of times for, for parties, the large pans. And so he's already placed in, you know, order for Thanksgiving. He's like, I want, I want blueberry cobbler. And, and he's got grandkids. So he wants the cookies because they love the cookies. And he was telling me how, you know, his, his family's kind of split this year. So he's got some relatives who were going off to North Carolina. And he's like, what can I send with them? And we were talking about the, the rum cake, you know, which is, which is a, that was what started it all. And so I was telling him about that. He hasn't tried that yet. And he's like, that's, that's it. That's sold. We're going to, we're going to get that. And we're going to put that in the car and send that along with them and they'll have a good time. And so so I have a lot of customers like that who are, you know, who are carnivores, but they just enjoy good desserts. And so, so all of those things are motivating factors for me. Being able to to provide good desserts that everyone can enjoy. If you know, yeah, people who are gluten free, who are egg free, people who can't have peanuts, you know, who have those kind of allergies, but you can find a dessert that I make. And everyone can can have it and partake in it. And that's that's kind of the that's my motivating that. factor. Yeah, I love that. And one of the reasons I wanted to rush you and get this episode out was because I'm going to be ordering things for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I do not cook, nor do I want to cook or bake, <laughs> but I loved what I brought and bought from you and brought home and everybody who had some loved it too. And I, and I want everybody to be able to have some of your items because you can't not feel good about it because it fits all the dietary requirements. I think. So how can people order this from you? What do they need to do and how do they figure it out? And tell us about that and what you got coming for us. Sure, sure. So definitely go to the website. That's your first stop. So it's vibianstreats.com, V-I-B-I-A-N-S, treats.com. That's going to be backwards. Yeah, that's the card. That's okay. That's the card. If you Google Vivian Southern Treats, it'll come up. If you Google uh, Vegan Southern Treats, it'll it'll pop up as well. But go to the website and on the Contact Us page, you'll see the list of retailers where that feature our products. But you'll also see the link for Market Wagon. So if you're in the greater Atlanta area, click that link and that'll take you to the Market Wagon store. It's already up and running in terms of pre-orders. They've already started accepting pre-orders for Thanksgiving. So you can order, you know, pumpkin pie. I do pumpkin pie on the fold fold menu. There's also a very popular item that I've already taken a couple orders for already, uh, the maple glazed pumpkin spice cake. I think this is the second this might be the third year of that too. I think I launched that in, in 2020 as well. And uh, that's become very popular. And so if you're a fan of spice cake, you know, you like that pumpkin spice profile, you know, that's the dessert for you. So check that out. Sweet potato, of course, like I said, that's the bestseller. That's a traditional item. And so you can order any of those things or any of the other items on Market Wagon and they allow you to select your delivery date, you know, and they'll deliver it right to your house in time for Thanksgiving. If you uh, want to pick it up, 
an order from me directly. There's also information on the website on how to do that. Just email or give me a call. You know, all that information is there. And also while you're there, you know, I encourage people to, to sign up for our newsletter, you know, on the contact us page, just go ahead and fill that out. And that's where we announce all of the new products and new markets. And I, I will tease that there's a new market, a winter market that I'm going to be participating. So they want something that they they can travel with. If you're flying, I would definitely suggest, you know, picking up some cookies, ordering cookies in advance. Those are pretty easy to travel with. And, and but some of the other items can be a little challenging, like the cake boxes to get through TSA and what have you. But if you're if you're going on the road, then the, the whole menu is, is open to you and, and would work out. Okay. So what if people live outside of Georgia? They can't they can or cannot get your delicious items yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not shipping outside of outside of Georgia, outside the Atlanta area yet. But if you have relatives in the area who are going to be coming through and traveling to your way for the holidays, they can definitely bring you things. So getting on a plane with desserts, getting through TSA, the easiest things I would say probably cookies. Right, the, a box of cookies or, or or a pie. But if you're if you're actually going to road trip to your holiday, then the entire menu is is up to you and it's open to you. So, you know, the the cakes are great things to take. Like I mentioned, my my uh, one of my clients is going to get that Jamaican rum cake, the pound of rum cake, as I call it. He's going to be sending that with his relatives up to North Carolina. And so so the, those are some of the ways that you can kind of get the products, get them to you. And and the goal is to very soon be in the position that things can get shipped. But logistically, it's taking some time because I want to get it right. You know, that's a lawyer in me. Right. Wanting to, to get it right, because I do want when people to get when people receive the products that are once we start shipping nationally, that they are receiving them at the same quality that they left Atlanta and getting the same quality that's of products fair. that people can get at the farmer's market. So so that's that process is just taking its logistical time. But I want to get it right. Right. And one of the questions I asked you was like, so what keeps you going every day? And And you were a little. Hmm. And then we both kind of came to the conclusion that you love challenges and you love to try new things. And if it pops into your mind as something you want to do, because you're kind of a spiritual person and believe in the, the greater, greater energy. And then if something pops into your mind, it might be worth investigating and you're willing to try new things. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. That's how I've ended up doing a lot of things in life. A lot of my little side hobbies kind of result in me sitting to myself and thinking, hmm, I think I'd be good at that. Or I think that's something I want to try. I think I could figure that out. And I, I go do it. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes there are hobbies that I try and I say, okay, I'm going to pivot back to that probably later in life when I have more time to enjoy it. But it was nice for me to try it out these years so I could kind of experience it and say, okay, that's something I want to pursue down the road or, or, or not. Man, you've always been willing to try things. Yeah, I'll go get a job. Yeah, I'll try this college. Yeah, I'll be a lawyer. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I want to get a motorcycle, so I'll just go get a motorcycle and learn how to ride it. Like things like that. It's it's really neat. And jumping into this business, you're you've combined your wanting to help people and be with people and provide a service that you were lacking that you wish you had had. And that that is a very commendable thing to be doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. And for me, you know, growing up in a certain environment where people didn't, they didn't take a lot of risks. They didn't take a lot of challenges because they really couldn't, 
right? They, because of circumstances and, and challenges they face in their own lives. And so I kind of probably grew up looking at that and said, I don't want to be like that when I grow up. You know, I, I don't want to be afraid of doing things. I don't want to feel like I'm trapped and I have to keep doing things. And certainly security is important. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. It's very important. And it's a huge motivating factor. I mean, we all like to eat and have roofs over our heads. But I, I didn't want to be one of those people that just lives in such fear of doing things and that you look back in, at your life and think, well, what if I had done this? What if I had taken that shot? What if I had taken that challenge? What if I had taken that risk? What if I had gone down that path? I, didn't, I just didn't want to live a life of regret when I look back on things. So I think that's also a motivating factor for me as to why I'm so willing to, to take those, those leaps. Love that. Well, gosh, Kiana, thank you so much for your time today and being willing to speak to the crazy lady who bombarded you at your tent and said, you have a story. I'm going to call you and we're going to talk. I appreciate it because you, you have a lot to offer and, and a, a really neat background and to go from being a lawyer to a baker and one that has to figure out recipes minus the normal ingredients. I mean, that in itself, you almost have to be a scientist to do that. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you and, and inviting me on. And it, yes, that's, I guess, another part of the, the thrill of the job, right? The challenge of taking on those kinds of tasks and being able to, to create those kinds of, of treats and those recipes with those kinds of limitations. And it's, it can get interesting. It's a lot of trial and error. It's not easy, but it, the finished product is is worthwhile, and and like I said, the the looks on faces when people try it, and especially people who haven't had things for a long time. You know, the, the customers I have who say, "Well, you know, I went vegan. Yeah, I went I went vegan or I went gluten free. You know, four years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago. I haven't had key lime pie since then. I haven't had a peach cobbler since then. I haven't had a you know peanut butter cookies all those years ago." And so when they try it and, and they enjoy it, that, that makes it worthwhile. So thank you so much for the platform and for allowing me to come and speak with you and, and, and sharing your energy as well. And, and I had a, a really nice time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile made you think and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.